Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Erica Hall is an ESG analyst for Morningstar, has her master's in financial planning, and has over 20 years experience in the financial sector. We talked to Erica about ESG investing, greenwashing, and what to look for if you want to invest ethically and whether it's worth it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we'll be talking to Erica Hall from Morningstar, a financial services rating agency about ESG investing, which is often referred to as ethical investing. But before we get started, let's share our money wins and our money losses for the week. Erica, would you like to start? Oh, okay. Fantastic. Well, I guess in terms of money losses... I had a friend who was a stockbroker who convinced me that Channel 10 shares would be a fabulous place to invest. Um, and I didn't do any of my research, uh, took him at face value and bought those shares, which have since delisted and they just continue to plummet. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, I think the learning there is, you know, do your research, diversify. And yeah, it's it's not a good idea to just take uh, advice at face value. <laughs> You've got to own yeah. those um, decisions. Gosh, in terms of money wins, I think honestly for me, it's just um, being in diversified um, investments and I'm probably more in, in relation to my superannuation and I, I've gone into a, a high growth strategy, which suits me because I have a long time before I retire and I have actually invested sustainably because I really do believe um, in the benefits of sustainable investments and that's been you know, a, a pretty good place to be. 
although the last 12 months have been somewhat challenging and I have seen my investments drop, but I'm still really happy with that investment over the long term. It's it's produced amazing results for me and I feel really you know, confident because I'm aligned to my um, values as well. My investments are aligned to my values. That's amazing. I'm really excited to get a little bit more into that a bit later. Anna, do you have a money win or a money loss for us today? Yeah. Um, my, mine is not as exciting as yours, Erica. <laughs> mine is just, I was <laughs> going to share my weekly one. I, I got a $6 shelf from the local uh, kids garage sale around the corner from my place. So I thought that was a score because I needed to buy a shelf for my office. And um, I'm sure that they read the barefoot investor book for the kids <laughs> because they were out there hustling. So I uh, got my $6 shelf. That was my win. I don't really have a loss for this week. So that's the one I'm going to share. <laughs> it's a good looking shelf for anyone who's watching on YouTube or the video. It looks great. <laughs> Um, my money loss of the week was I lost my AirPods, which was a little bit sad, but I bought new ones and I got some cash back as well. So that was a little bit of a money win in there, thankfully. Awesome. So let's get started. The word ethical has a lot of connotations and means different things to different people. There's not going to be one ESG ETF that everyone agrees is ethical. Um, we've covered what ETFs means in previous episodes, which is exchange traded funds. But um, Erica, maybe you can tell us what does ESG stand for? Yeah, sure. So ESG stands for environmental, social and governance investing. And it is a bit of an umbrella term and it can, it's all encompassing and can mean different things to different people. And I think when you think about, so ESG um, investing, you can be investing to sort of mitigate risk or you can actually be investing to um, improve the world and invest for impact. So have a positive, make a positive difference with your investments. And I think typically in the past, it's all been about mitigating risk. So financially material risk, you know, climate change is a major thematic in ESG investing and Australians are really behind climate change. And I think because we have been directly impacted, we have seen bushfires, we have seen floods, we have seen extreme weather um, patterns. And so, you know, as a result, we've got a, a new government in place and they're making a lot of changes from a legislative perspective. And so we've, we're now signed up to the Paris Agreement, which is all about limiting greenhouse gas emissions and, um, you know, I guess trying to limit climate change and trying to um, limit temperature rises through reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. The other thing that we haven't had in place is regulation disclosure in terms of what, you know, ESG means. And so that can be really challenging because how do you make comparisons between different funds that can sound fabulous from an ESG perspective but because there is no regulation in place, are they actually delivering on, on what they say? And I think that that then leads into you know, some of the things that are happening from a greenwashing perspective and regular uh, regulators looking really um, closely at fund claims. And I guess what we are seeing is a lot of money flowing into ESG strategies. And so from a regulator's perspective, they want to know that um, capital is being allocated efficiently. So as an investor, if you want to invest aligned to your values and you want to invest in an ESG manner, then you want to be sure that the strategy that you've invested into is delivering to that. And without the regulation, it can be a little bit tricky because the marketing materials can sound amazing, but when you dig beneath the surface, maybe it's not quite um, living up to the claims that um, they are saying that they can deliver to. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to get that trust with everyone. Like I know Vanguard recently got in trouble for greenwashing and you don't expect that from someone like Vanguard. So it's hard to build out that trust with everyone. Yeah. And look, that one was a little bit unfortunate because it was a bit of a technicality. So obviously index manager, 
they benchmarked to particular indexes. They had an ESG index that they were benchmarking to. That particular benchmark provider had two very similar benchmarks, one that um, obviously didn't have tobacco and then you know, from a production perspective and one that also didn't have revenue from tobacco sales and they just pulled out the wrong index in the PDS, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And the irony of that one was there was no material impact to investors because the revenue component wasn't hit. And so even if they had had been trying to track to that benchmark, the underlying holdings would have been the same. But okay. I agree, it shakes confidence because it is yeah. easy to make mistakes. And, you and know, it's, it's like... It's just hard as an everyday investor to know what to look for in these kind of things as well when you're getting started in the world of ESG investing. But going back to what actually ESG is. I know when I first started, I didn't have any idea what governance meant because I thought ESG was just ethical. I didn't realize it was like environment, social and governance. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about what that means and how that applies? Yeah, for sure. So governance is really around, I guess, the ethics of a, a business and what they're doing to sort of make sure that they're um, you know, being good corporate citizens. And also it covers things like um, board composition and diversity and inclusion. So it's quite far-reaching, you know, mm-hmm. remuneration as well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I know we talked a little bit about um, the benchmarking in an index, but we haven't really talked about that on the podcast. So I'm wondering if we can actually just take a step back and be like, what is ESG investing? How does that work? Um, how do, what does it track? How does that fit in the whole ecosystem of investing? Because I don't think we've discussed that on the podcast yet. Yeah. So ESG investing is when you are actually, when you're making your investment decisions, you're taking into account environmental and social and governance issues. And you're wanting to typically you know, tilt the portfolio to these qualities. But there are many different ways that you can invest um, with, an, you know, with deference to ESG. So ESG investing can mean many things. Um, so, you know, as I said, negative products. So it might be you, you just don't want to be exposed to these sort of negative product involvements. There's 14 of them um, that we capture from a research perspective. And so tobacco is the, the most um, excluded uh, product in ESG investing in Australia. And it is really interesting, actually, because the exclusions differ from country to country. So in Australia, you might find it surprising, but it's, it's tobacco, it's alcohol, it's gambling, uh, and fossil fuels is up there as well. And actually, adult entertainment is, was one of the other ones that we don't yeah, like in, in our products. But that's yeah. not the case um, overseas. Elsewhere. They've got different, yeah, they've got different exclusions. So it is really interesting that it is regionally specific. So that's sort of the, the most basic is the, the product exclusions. And then you've got you know, investing for impact. So it might be re- investing in renewable, um, you know, energy products or taking into account like electric vehicles, because you can see that the future, where the future's headed, is that um, we're going to be looking for like a, a low carbon environment um, going forward. We've had 194 nations sign up to the Paris Accord. And so as a result of that, fossil fuels have to be phased out over time. And so what are the, who are going to be the beneficiaries of this low carbon economy? And so you've got a number of funds that will invest into to those industries that they think can really make um, you know, a difference and make and will actually financially benefit from the transition to a low carbon economy. Very exciting that we're moving forward with that. 
Can you give us a bit of an overview of some of those funds or some of the ESG ETFs out there? Yeah, so I had a look actually. And so we've got 300, I think it was 301 um, oh, wow. ETFs in our database. Uh, but of those, 45 are what we tag um, sustainable. And we're really rigorous in terms of what we you know, consider sustainable um, investments as well. So, you know, there might be some argument that we're being a little bit too harsh. And so the main providers of the ESG ETFs, not surprisingly, because um, ETFs tend to be passive, but not always. You can actually have actively managed ETFs. So they're basically exchange traded managed funds. So it's managed, actively managed funds that are available on the um, Australian Stock Exchange for ease of transaction. You, you might want to invest that way. But, you know, basically BetaShares, State Street, Vanguard and BlackRock are the biggest sort of providers of ESG solutions. And so, um, you know, there's a range of different options. So BetaShares in particular has a lot of really niche, really specific ESG options available to investors, whereas the other large players, State Street, um, Vanguard, BlackRock, they tend to have more broad base. So it might be ESG leaders. It might be a balanced um, offer with um, – so you'll have you know a mix of fixed interest and equities, but all sort of tilting towards better ESG qualities. And I think the methodology differs depending on what it is their objective is. So from an investor perspective, I think it is really important to look at the underlying objective of the, the fund and see what it is they're trying to, to deliver to make sure that it's aligned with what you're wanting to invest into. I think for a lot of new investors um, who are interested in, you know, ethically investing, ESGs are definitely a great option for them, but it gets so overwhelming, right? Like you just named a couple of different providers. Where do you start, you know? So are there any ESG ETFs within Australia or have also international exposure that are maybe worth considering? And can you talk a little bit about that? What someone would want to look for in those if they're looking to invest? Yeah. So I have to be a bit careful because I can't offer advice as such, but I can certainly point out a few things that you might want to look at. So when you look at the um, ETFs that are available, most of them are available in equities. And I guess that's not surprising. They're listed entities. There's been a lot more um, data collected from an ESG perspective on um, listed equities. Uh, there's a lot more transparency. So, you know, we can actually do a great ESG assessment on, on listed equities. So, when I was looking at it, I found five ESG uh, ETFs that were diversified options three that were fixed interest options, and then all the rest, 37, um, were equity options. So 80% of the options available to investors are equities, number one. Look, I think the great thing about um, the ETFs uh, are they are diversified. So that's great. So, you know, back to my example of my Channel 10 share, my one stock, didn't do so well. So, you know, not diversified. Um, great. The best thing you can do as an investor um, is to diversify. It's the, the one thing you can do to mitigate your risk because if you've got one, you know, if I had a basket of shares and, and you know, Channel 10 was one of them in the basket of shares, maybe all the other ones would have done really well. You know, hopefully Ch- Channel 10 didn't do so well, but overall I'm okay. Whereas you've got all your eggs in one basket, you know, it's risky. Yep, you can shoot the lights out, you can get really lucky, but, um, you know, you could have the experience like I had and you can pretty much lose a lot. So, so like that's so many great- people have had that experience. Yeah. <laughs> that story all the time. Yeah. So look, I think that that's a really, you know, pertinent point with the, um, the, the different ETFs that are available as they do tend to be diversified. I think the other thing you need to look at is, you know, the, the trading volumes of the ETFs. So you want ones that are quite liquid and that there's a lot of people investing into them because that will help with the, 
the cost of um, trading those stocks. So the buy-sell spread will be tight. And so therefore, you should um, be getting you know, a good price when you're entering and exiting the, the ETF. If it's not liquid and the trading volumes are low, you'll find there'll be a wider um, buy-sell spread and you might actually end up paying a premium to, to get in and out of the, the basket of, of stocks. What would you say is like a low trading volume or a high trading volume that people should look out for? Well, I mean, I was sort of looking at this from, um, you know, like in terms of who has the highest average volume in the last three months. I found like Better Shares Global Sustainable Leaders ETF had a really um, strong average daily volume, and that was 228 million. Was that ETHI? Yeah, it is ETHI. ETHI, ETHI, that's correct. So I think like one thing you could use as a proxy is you could have a look at the size of the, the fund. So typically the larger sized um, ETFs are, um, you know, are, are ones that are likely to have more average trading volume. Do you have a ballpark number for what is like a large fund? Well, again, um, I know it all depends. Yeah, but it I does depend. I'm like, oh, it's a few million. That seems large, but is it yeah, large? Yeah, I, I think you're probably wanting to look at it around that sort of 500 million and above. So again, yeah, if I look at it, the largest ETF in the Australian market in our database. So keep in mind, we don't necessarily have everything, but I, I'm pretty sure we do have the, the bigger <laughs> um, and more reputable ones. Um, is Beta Shares Global Sustainable Leaders ETF, and that's at two point. Billion in size, oh, wow. and it did have the largest average trading volume, and it's actually got at a reasonable fee. And so that's what the would you say is the reasonable fee. Sorry, so that's at um, it's a little over half a percent, so it's 59 basis points, so so 0.59 percent. Now, it's not the cheapest by far, like the cheapest actually, I um, was looking at this was uh, actually, let me just refer to my notes here. I know it was um, BlackRock. They had a couple at nine basis points, which is you know, oh, wow. pretty, pretty keen. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, again, they're passive funds. Um, they, you know, they track to the benchmark. When you're looking at passive funds, you want to look at um, those ETFs that can actually track really closely to the benchmark. And so there's, you know, because tracking error is is not your friend when you're investing passively because if you're actually not tracking close to the benchmark, then you may not deliver returns in line with the benchmark. And so that's you know, great hygiene <laughs> when yeah. you're um, investing passively. I hadn't even heard of the BlackRock ones. Like I think the ethical ETFs I've heard of are some of the Vanguard ones, BetaShares and Vanek, but I haven't heard of the BlackRock ones. So BlackRock, they call them uh, themselves iShares when it yeah. comes to ETFs. So you might have yeah. heard of iShares yeah. and that's I've heard actually- of iShares, but not their, what are their ethical ETFs? I haven't seen them marketed really. Yep. Okay. Let me just- Pull that up for you. So, um, so iShares Core MSCI World X Australia ESG Leaders ETF. It's a mouthful. Oh, okay, um, otherwise cool. known as IWLD. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, and it's quite large. It's got six hundred and fifteen million in totality. Uh, there's another one which is the iShares Core MSCI World X Australia ESG, which is called I, uh, and this is the hedge version. I think IHWL. Um, and then there's a uh, core MSCI Australia ESG leaders, which is the I ESG. And then there's a um, global aggregate bond, which is, you know, there's very few, as we said, very few bond um, options available. So that's quite a sizable one. I think it's the second largest um, fixed interest one in the um, cohort. And that's called AESG. Awesome. So yeah, they've got quite a few, but yeah, they had 
the lowest um, you know fees available. So there were a couple of things that you mentioned. You said diversification, um, seeing it, how large the fund is, seeing what the fees are as well. We talked a little bit about passive and active. Can you talk a little bit about that and what's better when it comes to ESG investing? Is there a better <laughs> or of the two? Yeah, look, it's a, that is a very controversial question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I always feel like you've got two camps, those that are just really pro, um, you know, passive and really proactive, you know, and it doesn't seem to be a lot of middle ground. I, honestly, I think there's place for both. Um, so I guess with a, a passive, what do you get? You're, you're getting really great diversification um, because you're matching a benchmark. So the benchmark is usually very well diversified um, in terms of underlying holdings, geographically, industries, sector, etc. So fabulous and you're getting it at a low cost. And the whole premise behind it is you know, it's really hard to beat the market. So actually capturing the market return is is not a bad place to be. And so it gives you a, a little bit more certainty as long as that tracking error is in check. You know, you basically know. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's going to meet the market. So whatever the market's doing, um, whatever the underlying um, benchmark's doing, that's what your fund, your ETF should be doing. With Active, what you're trying to do is actually beat the market. And so you're your portfolio might look nothing like your um, underlying performance benchmark. Um, you know, it might have concentrated positions. Um, they'll be skewing the portfolio into sort of industries or stocks that they think are, are going to perform better um, than average. And sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it wrong. Um, and there's definitely different capability sets. And so um, not all managers are, are the same. So some managers are better than others. But, you know, of course, Again, with an active approach, it comes at a cost as well. So not surprisingly, when I had a little look at the data, the most, the five most expensive ETFs were all active exchange, you know, um, traded managed funds. And because, you know, there's a lot more, arguably a lot more work that has to go into making active decisions. You know, you've got to do all your analysis um, and that um, costs time and money. Is the strategy for ESG investing, like if you want to be active, just literally to beat the benchmark or is there something else that comes under ESG that someone would choose active? Yeah. Trying to actively pick more sustainable stocks. Yeah. Or like, like is, that. Is, that, is that a thing? Mm. I think that's a really good question actually, because ultimately Yes, when you're talking about ESG investing, you're investing to you know to make typically. Money. Well, <laughs> you're not going to change the world. I was to make better choices. Other, I was going to yeah. say the other thing in terms of you know you're actually wanting to invest in those companies that are um, going to be 
you know, Sustain, around for yeah. the long term yeah. and they're actually going to be sort of sustainable in terms of, you know, they're going to continue to exist because their business model is aligned to, you know, this thematic that we're seeing um, and this growing thematic that we should be um, investing sustainably. sustainability thing, but like the company being sustainable. Yeah. But sometimes when I think about sustainable, I think of it like more as an environment thing, like viewing yeah. those as two separate yeah, things. Yeah, and that's yeah. where it can get confusing as well. Yeah. But it, it, and I think it, it really can mean both. But I think ultimately, you know, investors want to return. <laughs> so the return really matters as well. So you want both. So when you're investing sustainably, you want to be investing in companies that are doing the right thing, that are going to be around for the long term, that, you know, are, uh, can see that sort of the trend that's occurring and are positioning their businesses for success. And then theoretically, given that, they should also perform well in the long term. But the issue is when you're investing in ESG ETFs is that you've got to expect that they're going to behave differently to the broader market because they are taking into account the the ESG components. And so I think the last 12 months has been a great example of this where fossil fuel companies did extraordinarily well because of the conflict in the Ukraine. And it was the standout sector, like the returns were phenomenal. And of course, ESG investors typically won't hold fossil fuels um, or will be severely underweight them. And so as a result, it's not surprising. Um, We had seen up until last year, ESG investing keeping up with the broader market. In fact, had had some fantastic tailwinds because the tech sector, which they tend to overweight into, had done extraordinarily well in the last few years. And so, you know, ESG investing had been delivering both, you know, a values component, like investing in great, you know, sustainable, you know, companies that are doing the right thing for the planet and also producing fabulous returns. But, you know, that really um, became a lot more challenging um, in the last 12 months. But the great thing is, you know, like it is a point in time and I do think over the long term, you've got to look at the long term and say, well, what is the, you know, what is the overarching theme here? And the overarching theme is, you know, we are moving to a more sustainable world and the risk of having fossil fuel assets that become stranded that, you know, are worth nothing is is a genuine risk that investors need to consider. But you can have, it's not necessarily a, you know, a straight line. You can have these anomalies. And so definitely, you know, that can shake the confidence. But on that, we look at flows on a quarterly basis. And um, what we find is when there are, you know, tough market conditions, we'll see that money will flow out of the broad market and can flow out in really substantial, you know, um, chunks as well um, as investors retreat because they get their confidence knocked. But we, and we definitely see, yes, there is an impact on sustainable investing as well in terms of maybe we don't see the same weight of money going into sustainable strategies when market conditions are tough. But what we do see is resilience and we don't see that flow. We don't see money flowing out. We might just see a little less money flowing in, but overall we're seeing positive net flows quarter by quarter by quarter. And we don't see that in the broader market. We see, you know, we can see some really significant outflows, particularly in tough market conditions. So I think that that's a really interesting dynamic as well. And I've done a lot of thinking about, well, why is that? And I think of it, you know, in terms of my own perspective, I'm invested aligned to my values. You know, performance matters absolutely, but I'm also a patient investor and, you know, I can see 
you know, that I'm invested appropriately for the long term. And so I can, you know, manage these um, short term ebbs and flows. Yeah. It's a really good point about the fossil fuels longer term. Like if you're not going to believe that they're going to succeed longer term, then why focus on their short term gains if you're missing out on that? So it's a really good point to highlight. Yeah. goes back to that long term investing that you were just talking about, right? Like we're, yeah. we're, we're all about that on, on the show, as you, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about positive versus negative ESG screens and what that means for investors? Um, I know a lot of people are surprised by some of the companies that actually end up in ESG ETFs. Yeah. So, um, so negative tends to be, um, things like, Controversial weapons, tobacco, alcohol. Um, so negative so taking you, things out of the fund, like completely screening. Yeah, and so out. you won't yeah. you won't invest into them, or yeah. you will, um, you know, lower the weight that you will invest into some of these um, particular. Yeah, lowering the weight bit is interesting because I would assume yeah. it's just taken out completely rather than just lowering it. That's no, interesting. there's there's all different ways, and so the other thing that you can look at is. Um, contribution to revenue. And so what you'll find is that, um, you know, perhaps some of the, the ESG investments will have exposures to say fossil fuel, but they'll say um, any fossil fuel company that has, I don't know, 5% of revenue you know, attributed to um, fossil fuel production, we won't invest into. So, you know, so it does mean that there can be some exposures, I suppose. So that yeah, whole revenue so component and, and that can, you know, that percentage can differ between funds as well. So something to just, again, the devil's in the detail. It's a super nuanced space. Um, you know, you do need to actually you know, do your research and understand what it is um, the the particular um, ETF you're investing into is looking to achieve. So that's the sort of negative screen where you're you're basically downweighting or not holding um, particular industries or companies that don't meet your criteria. And then the positive weights are going into to companies that um, you know are are doing things that you think are revolutionary and are actually positive. And so you might then um, you know overweight quite substantially to those particular, it could be industry or specific companies. Then there's another approach where you can actually look at best of breed. So you you want to have maybe you're looking at, I'll have all the industries covered um, so that I've got diversification at an industry level, but I'm just going to pick out the best two or three in that industry and invest into them. And I'm picking out the best based on the ESG intentions, capabilities, as well as their financial metrics. And so it's really interesting. There's a whole school of, you know, there's a whole debate around do you divest in fossil fuel companies altogether or do you invest and try and make a positive impact? And you sort of look at what happened with AGL and Mike Cannon-Brooks and he came in and he invested um, and he basically um, forced the the company to change its stance on its, um, you know, coal production, and he was able to, you know, change the board composition and to, to make the company get really serious about, you know, their greenhouse gas emissions and, you know, having a renewable energy strategy so that they can transition um, to, you know, the future state. And the original plan was they were going to just um, ring fence those sort of um, dirty polluting assets and um, sell them off. And he's like, well, that's not going to solve the problem. Um, so this is a really, so this whole divest versus sort of, you know, engage um, is a really important um, component of ESG investing. And before I really got into this space, if you'd said to me, hey, would you have a fossil fuel company in an ESG portfolio? I'd be like, hell no. 
but it but actually you can make a, a big difference by holding them and then you know holding them to account and um you know and making them sort of take action versus if you divest you've got no voice yeah yeah, yeah. to me that's the last you know, yeah last rung in the strategy like if you've tried everything to sort of influence and you can't influence then sure i think at that point you've got to divest but it's a long road too you know like this can it can take many years to make those changes but i do think it's important it is hard right like when you're coming up with your strategy what what do you do you know do you not want to hold them because you don't want to support them do you hold them and you know make a change do you are you more heavily weighted in areas such as, you know, if you believe in renewables, batteries, et cetera, those industries. So you hold more of that. It can be quite over overwhelming when you're trying to figure out your own strategy. And what's ethical to you may be different to me. You know, you may be more focused on sustainability, whereas I'm more focused on governance. And how does that work? You know, um, Tash and I were discussing before, is Amazon ethical? You know, Erica, Erica, what do you think? Look, that's a really great question. And um, and I must admit, I've asked some fund managers, why are you holding Amazon in your portfolio? You're an ESG manager. Like, this is an ESG strategy. Why? Why are you holding Amazon? It makes uh, no sense to me. But I've done a little bit of work on um, Amazon because it kept cropping up. Like, I kept on seeing it in ESG portfolios. So, and it is actually the eighth most held stock in international equity portfolios. Um, oh, wow. So from an ESG perspective. So ESG, international oh, equity crazy. portfolios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, when I look across all ESG holdings, so, you know, diversified um, as well as, you know, equity you know, um, strategies, it's the 23rd most um, held stock. So it's it's a pretty significant holding in a lot of ESG strategies. Um and so, yeah, I, I've, I've asked the question. You sort of look at it and there's so many issues around business capital, business ethics, um, you know, data, privacy and security. Um, you know, there's a lot of notable ESG issues. You know, there's a, a formal antitrust, um, you know, litigation going on at the moment backed by the EU. Um, you know, Amazon has, you know, allegedly been involved in anti-competitive behaviour. There's lots of allegations about poor working conditions, um, particularly for the warehouse workers. And, um, you know, there's been also allegations of systemic occupational health and safety issues. So, it doesn't sound great. The list great. goes on. No. <laughs> the list goes yeah. on. It's not one that, you yeah. know, rates pretty yeah. high. Like, it doesn't rate very highly from our perspective. It relates below average from an ESG perspective because of all these issues. But, you know, they are doing some positive things. And this is where it gets really nuanced. Like, where do you focus your attention? And, you know, I think you do have to look at it holistically. But, you know, um, I think they're well ahead of their um, renewable energy targets. So, you know, you can kind of, yeah, like um, Mm. go, well, that's great. And that's, we really care about the environment. And so we're not going to worry so much about all these labor force issues, um, all these governance issues relating to business ethics. But, you know, we're, we're looking to, you know, invest in companies that are doing positive things to the environment and they tick that box. So this is where it gets super nuanced in terms of, well, what is it we're trying to achieve here? And then I did have one fund manager, which I thought was really interesting. I said, oh, so you've got Amazon, you know, you're an ESG, this is an ESG strategy. Why have you got Amazon? They said, oh, well, you know, during the pandemic, they employed a lot of people. We think that's great. (laughs) Doesn't matter about the conditions. They just employed them. Great. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wow. It's yeah, it's really important to have all these conversations because when you're looking into something like I know the Vanguard ethically conscious international shares, 
fund they hold Amazon as one of their holdings and going back to like the positive and negative screen, like if they've done their job and they've screened out gambling, tobacco, alcohol, and stuff like that, then of course Amazon would fit under that. And just being aware of what the fund is actually looking at is really important. I was going to say, like Erica said, there's a lot of tech companies also that fall under the ESG. And again, there's questions like around Facebook. The, yeah, yeah. 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 Around the ethics around that Apple. Right. And um, mm. so, so it is a challenge. I think one of the things I often think about is like, how, um, how am I functioning as a consumer? You know, like where am I spending my money is also a different way of thinking about investing ethically, you know, like where I spend my money is part of the profits, which goes back to the shareholders. And it's like a big loop that you sometimes need to consider as well. Yeah. I think it's like, I kind of get stuck as well. Like when you're like, I know when a lot of people go vegan, for example, it's like, you have to be all or nothing. And I think ESG investing, gets a little bit like that, where you can't, if you're not the perfect ethical investor, then why kind of bother? But there's so many bits to this conversation and you can try and do your best, but it's really hard to be completely ethical because it's different to everyone. Tash, are you saying you can be plant-based, but also have bacon on the side? <laughs> no, I feel like you can be more vegan, but I feel like it's like the mentality for everything. Like when you're trying to start like a new exercise thing, you're like all or nothing. I'm going to exercise every single day. Or if I ruin it one day, I'm not going to bother at all. And that kind of applies to a lot of things, I think. But no, you can eat a little bit of bacon if you're mostly vegan. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love it. I think that the great thing is, is that there's just been, you know, so many new, um, you know, products launched, launched to market. So, you know, we're just seeing more and more, um, ETFs come onto the market. And so, and it's becoming more and more, um, tailored to individual sort of, uh, values. So you can, you know, more than ever, I think you can find something that does meet your values and you're right. Everyone's values will be different. And so for some people just, you know, negatively screening a few things that they're not comfortable with is enough, you know, and that's at the lower end of the spectrum. But for others, it's like, no, making a positive impact is really important. And so, you know, I don't want to, I want to be investing in renewable energy, for example. I don't want any fossil fuel. Well, that's fine. You know, there's, there's strategies that cater to that as well. So, you know, there is, is, you know, it's becoming, um, you know, easier to find something that will um, match your values. Yeah. Do you think it actually makes a big difference in the world? Like if we invest in our ESG ETFs, are we, are we helping? Are we doing anything? Are we just trying I to mean, do our thing? Or just yeah, paying I mean, more fees feel like- and feeling better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I guess I'm super conflicted because I do truly believe you know, that we are. And I do, I do think that because what's happening is we are seeing the weight of money moving into this space. And we're seeing that, um, investors are asking companies more and more about their, you know, ESG policies. And so we're seeing more and more companies, um, actually reporting on their ESG, um, capabilities. And to be, you know, internationally competitive, they need to. We can see what's happening from a, um, government perspective and a legislative perspective that it's going to become a requirement. It's just a matter of time it's um you know like it's well well underway that they will you know they will need to report on these issues and certainly from an ASX perspective Australian stock exchange perspective there is an encouragement it's voluntary for um, companies to report on their climate risks and particularly in that top 100 companies from a market capitalization perspective so the larger companies I think it's more than 70 percent are doing that even though there's no legal requirement to do so because you know they want to attract the capital and to attract the capital, they have to be giving this information because it's the end investors that actually are asking for this. And so I do think by us putting our money where our values are is 
absolutely having an impact on um, the way companies think about things. So for someone who's looking to invest in ESGs, like what is the number one top tip that you would suggest for them to do? I think it is work out what it is that matters to you and then really be you know clear about the um the strategies objectives and making sure that it matches what matters to you so you can't take things on face value you need to um you know look at the objectives and look at how the um the fund manager is managing the strategy just to avoid any buyer's regret but what if it's too hard it's so overwhelming <laughs> analysis paralysis just do Erica, it just, just tell stop. me what to invest in which ETF? <laughs> and then i guess you're looking at maybe you're looking at a broad-based um you know yeah diversified uh offer that um from a well-known manager that has good size and um, good liquidity. <laughs> yeah, we kind of said that before. You were saying like yeah. the trading volume, the fees, those kind of things yeah. to look out for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Can we touch on greenwashing a little bit more yeah, as well? Sure. Um, yeah. so you kind of briefly mentioned it in terms of Vanguard, but what should people actually be looking out for to avoid it? What are the red flags? Yeah. So look, greenwashing is really interesting. So just to sort of clarify, greenwashing is when companies overstate um, their green credentials. And the, the temptation to do that is really high because we are seeing the flow of money going into green strategies. So it's, everybody wants to sort of tell you how great they are from um, a green label from a, on it. I've kind of yeah, seen Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, we're, we're taking, you know, um, these environmental, social and governance issues really seriously. So, and it can also, greenwashing can also mean, um, you know, or capture sort of, I guess, a mismatch between um, expectations as well. So, sometimes the company's been really upfront about what their their green capabilities are, but the investor didn't quite understand what it was um, that they were like looking to deliver. So, you know, that's also another case of greenwashing. And really why it matters is because, um, you know, if you're actually wanting to invest, you know, in a green manner um, or, you know, aligned to ESG principles, um, it's not great if then you're investing something that is actually not delivering to those principles. So this whole allocation of capital um, is is what really matters to the regulators. And so as a result, greenwashing is the highest priority um, or amongst the highest priorities for ASIC and for the ACCC. So both regulators have said we are looking at this really closely and that's why we're starting to see some of these um, issues come to the forefront. So, so Vanguard was one, Mercer Superannuation is another, but ASIC have said that they've got quite a number of other funds that they're closely looking at. So I think that there will be more more to come. And as a result of that, we have seen, which I think is fantastic, right? Because, you know, how do you pick greenwashing? How do you sort of combat it? It's hard, right? Other than, you know, you've got to do your own research. And as you said, you know, the analysis by paralysis and it's a little bit boring and it's a little bit dull as much as it's important. So, you know, if the regulators can step in and hold the industry to account, I think that's actually really positive because what I have definitely found as a researcher is that the fund managers that I talk to are now being much more cautious about their green claims. And whilst, you know, like I'm thinking of one fund manager 
as an example. Nothing has changed. They're still doing everything they said they were going to, but they're really watering down the claims, even though nothing has changed in, in the way that they approach investing. Just for the avoidance of doubt, they're being extra conservative, extra cautious. And I think, you know, as a result of this, you know, scrutiny by regulators, it's it's great for investors because there should be more confidence going forward that um, the green claims are genuine because if they're not, the fund managers are going to be um, caught out. And and it's reputational risk, you know, like we're talking today, Vanguard, Mercer, you know, their names are now associated with sort of greenwashing allegations. That's not great. You don't want that. You know, that, that's not a positive thing. Especially for Vanguard as well, because they're kind of the gold standard for passive ETFs, I guess. So hearing greenwashing with them isn't the best for everyone. Yeah. Such great information. If someone wants to learn more about ESG investing, where do they go? Where can they learn more? Yeah. Okay. So I think um, the Australian um, government's got a website, Money Smart. So that's pretty good. So, you know, like, nice impartial information about um, various um, topics, including ESG. You know, I think. There's heaps. I mean, Google. You know, there's heaps <laughs> yeah. of information available through through Google. Obviously, um, there's a lot of you know researchers um, like like Morningstar that uh, undertakes a lot of um, ESG re- research. But you know, I found finding it more in the mainstream media as well. Like, there's just so much information because there is such interest in this space. So I, I don't think it's hard to actually find you know information as an investor in relation to there's so much information out there. But I think, yeah. yeah, Google Money Smart, check out Morningstar, see some yeah. America's articles. I'm sure you've written something interesting. Um, and yeah, I think for me, when I'm looking at ESG things, is actually just looking at the holdings as well, yeah. like going into each ETF and being like, what are their top 10 holdings and being mildly shocked by it. Do you feel comfortable with Amazon? <laughs> yeah. Why does this look like the A200 anyway? Like, what's the difference here? Yeah. It's a really good point. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Erica. Um, great to have you on yeah, the show. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, thanks for sharing everything with us. This was awesome. Pleasure. So nice to to meet you both and love the discussion. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Erica. Cheers. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you found it helpful, feel free to leave us a rating or review or share with a friend. Make sure to follow us on social at Get Rich Slow Club, or you can follow Tash at Tash Invests or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367, and Perla, who is an authorized representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info.